Well, we're continuing our journey through Jonah, so if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2. We'll start with the last verse of chapter 1 in this journey through Jonah, and today we start and end with the big fish. This is, if, if you know the story of Jonah at all, this is the part of the story you know that Jonah got swallowed by a big fish and spent three days in the belly of the big fish. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I want to remind you of what Pastor Steve told us last week, that Jonah at this point has hardened his heart so completely, running away from God, disobeying God, turning away from what God told him to come and do, And literally, Jonah would rather die than be obedient to God. He is dead set against doing what God wants in every sense of that phrase. But God has other plans. The first or the last verse of chapter one says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I want to focus with you as we talk about Jonah this morning. I want to focus with you on something that we don't talk a lot about necessarily, but the Bible seems to talk a great deal about it, and that is spiritual maturity. We understand growing physically more mature. You start out as an infant and then a child, and then you grow into young adulthood, that whole thing. Some of us would rather stop there with that young adulthood thing. We don't like this whole aging process. We talk about emotional maturity, the idea, you know, you'd way rather hang out with somebody who's emotionally mature, right, rather than somebody who's going to throw a fit any time they disagree with you. Well, in the same way, there's spiritual maturity, and it takes time and relationship and probably a lot of mistakes to grow towards spiritual maturity, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed that God is really good at some things? One of the things I've noticed lately is that God is really good at humbling people. Not specifically me, but people. Yeah, me. Um, We see that in, in the book of Jonah here. Jonah goes from status. Jonah's a prophet. His people know he's a prophet. He's recognized And he runs from God, and God says, okay, I'm going to bring you to the end of yourself. I'm going to humble you. I am going to stop you, and I am going to bring you to a place where I can work on you. So Jonah runs away. God arranges for him to spend three days in the belly of a fish. Talk about a time out. Can you imagine anywhere you would rather spend time than the belly of a fish? That's got to be the worst. I can't think of any place that I would that would be worse than the belly of a fish for three days. God's really good at humbling us, right? I mean, some of you have stories to tell about this. You've been in that medical procedure where they're poking and prodding things that you don't want poked and prodded, but you've got to go through it, and it's humbling. Or maybe you have been in that place where you get frustrated with a boss or a coworker and, and and you have a safe friend you're you're careful i mean you're you're not your first rodeo right you're careful but you go to the friend and you start to vent about the boss or the friend and only then find out that you're being overheard it's humbling or maybe that person that you love that you care about 
finally has just had enough and they let go and they hold up that mirror of the things you've been doing and how they see you and it just brings you right to the end of yourself. It's humbling. Well, Jonah gets humbled. God's really good at that. And to us, it feels like the end. It feels like the end of ourselves. It feels like death. We've been beaten down, used up, left for dead. We're no good to anyone. That is when God starts to do His best work in us and through us. Let's turn to chapter 2. We're going to keep moving through the text. And don't miss the first word here. We're going to come back to the first word. Then... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Then. It's after Jonah's humbled. It's after he's placed in the belly of the fish that he calls out to God. Are we any different? Isn't it after God puts the speed bump in your path, or the stop sign, worse yet, and says, Oh, and he humbles us and then our circumstances get difficult. And that's the moment when we say, oh, God, I need you. I don't know about you, but I can if life is just trucking on and things are going well, I don't stop very well and say, oh, God, I need you. I forget. When God puts a speed bump in our path, finally, we cry out out of my distress, Jonah says. Distress is kind of a polite word, isn't it? Distress. Many years ago, I had my wisdom teeth out. All four were getting impacted, and they said, you know, you can choose two at a time or all four at once. I said, go big or go home. Let's do them all. And I said to the surgeon, "Um, I'm diabetic, and I need to know how is this going to impact my dietary patterns? Uh, Should I be concerned about my caloric intake and things like that? And the the doctor, the surgeon, in, in the best tradition of medical language said, you might experience some minor discomfort for a day or two. I swelled up like a gopher. And for four days, all I could get down was broth and jello, and that was a stretch. Minor discomfort. Jonah says, distress. I was in distress. It's like that moment when something horrible has happened. Your life has fallen apart. Everything is gray. You're sitting and looking out the window trying to figure out if there's any meaning to anything anymore. You can't taste food. It's just all gone. And a friend calls up and you say, Hi. Oh, I'm fine. I'm in a little bit of distress, but I'm fine. That's what we do. Can we be real? And that's not a, a hypothetical question. That, that is a real question. Do you have people in your life that you can be real with? Do you have people in your life that when they call, you don't say, oh, I'm fine? Do you have people in your life where you can have that authentic conversation and say, all my food tastes like gravel, nothing is good? Jonah starts in the next few verses being a little bit more authentic. Verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep in the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, Jonah knows he's dying. That's what he expects when he gets thrown overboard. He doesn't expect the fish. But he's in denial. He still is telling himself, I'm going to come out of this okay. It's going to be good. I'm going to get home and see the temple again. Now, it's tempting here to make some deeply spiritual man out of Jonah, but the rest of the text doesn't support that. It, it's, it's not like Jonah shows his true quality and his faith in God becomes this great example for us. That never happens in this book. No. The rest of the story doesn't support it. Jonah's not a shining example of faith. This past week, I had the incredible privilege of spending most of the week with uh, Pastor Patrick and Pastor Steve and Deidre. And the four of us were at what's called the Exponential Conference in Orlando, Florida. Imagine 5,000 people totally sold out for Jesus. These are church planters. These are disciple makers. These are, these are people who are living it out. And all together at First Baptist Church in Orlando, the worship and the music and the breakout sessions... Phenomenal. Uh, I went to a breakout session and they passed out this little booklet and it included this handout. And as I was thinking about Jonah and praying through this morning, uh, this diagram really came to mind. See, this is a diagram of how we grow towards spiritual maturity. We start at noon up here and the details aren't important, but I want you to see the illustration because about one o'clock, that's where we come to faith in Jesus. That's, that's the point at which we surrender. And so we'd say that just about the entire wheel, you're a Christian. But you know what? Two and three o'clock here, this is, they call it on the wheel, spiritual infancy. And it's characterized by ignorance. And down here, four, five, six, what we've got is spiritual childishness. And it's characterized by self focus and self-centeredness. And then over here you get the young adult kind of stage of faith and then you get parenting over here when you reproduce your faith and give it away. But I was just thinking about Jonah and thinking about how he's really living down in this spiritual childishness quadrant. He's really living in this self-focused, self-centered kind of way and, and there's evidence for that in the text. You see this in the text. First, Jonah gets up and he runs away from what God clearly calls him to do. That disobedience is a self-focused, childish thing. Second, when God tries to get his attention with a storm, Jonah doesn't even step up at that point. Third, he needs the pagan ship's captain and the pagan sailors to explain to him what God is up to and to call him to pray. Jonah's got zero maturity going here in his faith, folks. Then... Even after it comes down that Jonah's on the hook for the whole storm, he doesn't take responsibility for his own actions. In the end, he tells the sailors to throw him overboard, as Pastor Steve pointed out last week, because he doesn't have the guts to do it himself. There's no maturity here. And finally, in our own reading today, he blames God. He says, you cast me into the deep. Does Jonah own anything here? I don't think so. He is not a shining example of spiritual maturity. Now, in, in our context, spiritual maturity is maybe best defined as growing little by little, more and more, to resemble Jesus. 
It's not something that happens all at once, and it's not something that we're ever going to get fully in this lifetime, but we become little by little and bit by bit more like Jesus. You see, Jesus was totally sold out for his Father's mission in this world. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself, and Jesus wanted his Father's will even more than he wanted his own desires. So let me ask you, do you see yourself changing bit by bit? Do you see yourself becoming more like Jesus? I'm not saying you should have life all figured out. But the important question is, which direction are you moving? And what are you doing intentionally to help yourself grow into resembling Jesus? Okay, Jonah's prayer goes on. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Now we're starting to get a little more honest. And as Jonah gets more honest, he recognizes that God is the one in charge. He says, Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So Jonah's in distress, a little minor discomfort, right? And he remembers the Lord. This is so much like me, it's painful to talk about. Because here's the thing, I'm really forgetful when it comes to God. Like I said before, I'm really prone just to get ahead of steam and keep going. I heard Matt Chandler give a talk on this a few years ago, and it has stayed with me over and over again. I think about this. He was talking about Resurrection Sunday morning when Jesus is risen from the dead. And the way it goes in Luke's gospel, the women have come to the tomb. They come because Jesus was buried in a hurry, and he wasn't buried very well. And so they come back, they're going to anoint his body. They've got spices and aloes and things, and they're just going to anoint Jesus' dead body and then rewrap it and make sure it's carefully placed in the tomb. But when they get to the tomb, Jesus is risen, he's gone, and there's an angel there. And the angel says, don't you remember? Don't you remember Jesus told you this is going to happen, that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be crucified and he's going to die and he's going to be buried. And then on the third day, he's going to rise. Don't you remember? And Luke's gospel really intentionally says, and they remembered. And they remembered. And that's really good news for us. Because we do this all the time. Let me, let me give you an example. When things get bad, when things get difficult, when life circumstances don't go well, when I face disappointments or roadblocks, I am very prone to say, God, what are you doing? Why are you treating me this way? How could you let this happen? And then God will quietly say, remember? Remember, I, I, I told you this kind of thing was going to happen. Remember? Because when we start reading Scripture, when we start digging into God's Word, it's on just about every page. You can go to Romans chapter 5, where Paul says that suffering produces endurance, produces character, produces hope. Or you can go to James, where James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various kinds of trials. 
Or you can go to Hebrews 12, where the author of Hebrews says, don't let all that stuff cling to you and weigh you down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Or you can go to Jesus' own words in John, John's gospel, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Over and over and over again, Scripture tells us that we're going to have this kind of thing. And then we say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you did tell me you were going to do stuff like that. You did tell me that it was going to be difficult and I was going to need to endure. You did tell me you were going to work through my sufferings to break me to holiness. You did tell me all of that. I I totally forgot. Jonah goes on, and now we see his immaturity coming up again as we read through his prayer. Here's here's one of the characteristics of immaturity. One of the things that immaturity does is immaturity will speak truth, but not be able to back it up. So it'll immaturity will say things that are honestly true, but then not be able to follow through. And that's what we see Jonah doing here. There's a disconnect. So verse 8, Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Is that true? Of course it's true. Absolutely. But let's take a look at Jonah not backing up his words here. If you remember, see what I did there? If you remember at the end of chapter 1, those pagan sailors who had to wake Jonah up and tell him to pray, they, even though they had next to no information about God, I mean, Jonah gives them this much information about God, but you know what? You're not saved by information, are you? You're not saved by the amount of Bible trivia you know. It's important to know God's Word, but knowing a lot about the Bible doesn't save you. What saves you is putting your faith and trust in the love and power of God in Jesus Christ. And it sure looks like those sailors put their trust in God because they make vows, they make sacrifices, they pray to God, And they do all that. They don't just talk about it. They do it at the end of chapter 1. Here's Jonah in the belly of the whale saying, I am a deeply spiritual man, Lord, and when I get free from this, I am going to do just like that. The pagan sailors have already done all that. Jonah hasn't. He failed in every way. He disobeyed God and ran away. He fell asleep. He didn't take responsibility for his own issues. But now he's going to talk big even though he can't back it up. I will pay my vows. He says, I will offer sacrifices. I'm going to be a great man of faith. You just get me out of this and you'll see. Last verse. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. This is not some polite little tweet. No, the fish comes up and wretches Jonah out on the beach. Talk about humbling. God is so good at humbling His people. But Jonah's story also tells us that God is so good at saving us. He saves Jonah's life in spite of the fact that Jonah is disobedient and running away. What do you do when God saves you? What do you do when God delivers you? We're going to see next week that God still has work for Jonah. 
See, here's the thing. You're not saved by your obedience. God saves you out of His grace and love and mercy, but you are saved so that you might be obedient to God, so that you have the privilege of stepping up to join Him in what He's doing in this world, so that you can say, teach me how to live in a better way, Lord. Last thought. Did you know that Jesus talks about specifically this part of the book of Jonah? Did you know that Jesus draws a parallel between Jonah and himself? He says, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, I'm going to be buried and on the third day I'm going to rise from death. Well, but I thought God was using the fish to humble Jonah. Yes. And Jesus humbled himself. Now, Jonah was rebellious and disobedient and ran away. Jesus was perfectly obedient. But Jesus, though he was in the form of God, Philippians chapter 2 goes into great detail about this. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus humbled himself and took on human form and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that terrible instrument of torture. He took the torture that you and I deserve for our sins. And though he was perfectly obedient to his Father in heaven, he bled out on that cross for you and me. And his lifeless body was laid in a borrowed tomb. Jesus was humbled in every way. He was humbled even though he was the Lord of glory. He was humbled even though he was the Son of God. He was humbled even though he was King of kings and Lord of lords. He was humbled even though he led a perfect, sinless life. He was humbled because he loves you and me. And we are trapped and broken, stuck in our sinfulness. Jesus gave himself to save us. He humbled Himself to save you and me. He humbled Himself so that we might be set free, not to live for our own self-centered agendas, but to serve Him, to tell the world about His love, to act out that love in tangible ways for a hurting and broken world that is stuck in its sinfulness. He humbled Himself and conquered death so that we might be set free, so that we might live in trust with Him. The good news for us this morning is that God is really good at saving us. And in Jesus, He has done everything needful to save us. He set us free to follow Him, free to step out beyond ourselves to join Him in His mission. And so if you have not, if you've not come to this point, this one o'clock point of surrendering to Jesus yet, what are you waiting for? Don't, don't let that go any longer. Give Him your life and let Him start to work you more and more into His, His image. Because He has done everything needful to save you and you can trust Him. I'm always amazed when I think how that mission of God is so tangible and so close to home. I, I had the great privilege this week of rooming with Pastor Patrick. And uh, I, every time I get to hang out with Patrick, I'm just amazed. I mean, he's a real guy. You hang out with him and, and you know, he's a real guy. But 
you start to listen to him talk about the passion he has to pour into his leaders for what, the ones that are working with youth. Some of you are in that position and you know you've, you've been in that place where Patrick has been investing in your life over time. Or just the, the rubbing shoulders he does with our young people. You see, living in a rural or a small town part of Minnesota, one of the things you realize really quickly, and I love this about us, is that we care about our communities and we care especially about the young people in our communities. And Patrick is week after week, day after day, in and out of the schools, in and out of the the youth gatherings that we have, investing in the leaders and multiplying himself out there, making a huge difference in our community by investing in our young people who otherwise would be at the mercy of a broken, sinful world. You know what? You're making that happen. Pastor Steve talked last week about how everything that's given to the open door, we take 10% off the top and we give it beyond our church. And that's fantastic. I'm so proud and so grateful to be a part of a church that does that. But even what stays here gets invested in something like what Patrick is doing and the mission that he's leading to influence the lives of young people in our community. And that's because of your generosity that that happens. You see, that's a tangible way of saying, I want to live over here. I want to be a part of this mission. I want to be investing in what God is doing. I want to be joining God in helping people come to know Jesus, helping people get set free. In just a second, we're going to invite the ushers to come so they could get ready now if you guys are still awake. Um, But I want you to know that what you're doing in this mission is making a real difference in the community. Would you stand and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is such a privilege to be a part of what you're doing. It's such a privilege to join you And we recognize, Lord, boy, in Jonah's story, we recognize ourselves, that difficult mirror that shows us our own rebellion and our own immaturity. And we confess that to you this morning, and yet you save us by your grace, by your mercy, by your love. You save us and you bring us to yourself and you change us little by little into your own image. And we're so grateful for that. And so, Jesus, we give you ourselves this morning. We give you ourselves for that work and that mission. We surrender to you, wanting your ways more than we want our ways. Teach us, Lord. Shape us. Take us. Mold us. Move us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, um, it's easy to hear a sermon on spiritual maturity and beat yourself up think, wow, I just, I, boy, I've fallen apart. I've got a long ways to go. I haven't made any progress. I remember being a teenager in driver's ed class, and I remember uh, the question came up, what do you do when somebody's driving at you on the highway and they don't dim their lights at night? You ever had that experience? I remember my driver's ed instructor said, don't look at the oncoming car. Don't think about how rude that person is being. Don't get fixated on them because you're going to drive where your focus is. So you focus on that right-hand shoulder that you can see and you get past that car. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on how far you have to go. Don't focus on how miserable you are. Put your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And little by little, bit by bit, two dozen times a day, you can return your focus to Him 
and he'll start to shape you into his own character. He'll start to morph you more and more like him.